Church family, as you find your place this morning, will you take your copy of God's word and turn to Genesis 45? In a moment, we will stand together and I will read. Today, I'm going to read the whole chapter because I think it's just a beautiful chapter as we come to really a culmination of what the last nine weeks, this is the ninth sermon in this section of our series in Genesis, and it's, it's been this building anticipation of what will finally happen when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Now, for some of you, probably many, most, this story is not new. You are aware of this story. You've known it for quite some time. Maybe you have read it numerous times, possibly countless times in your own readings through the scriptures. But go back to that first time where you get to Genesis 37 and there's this hope. The fourth generation after Abraham, God revealing himself to Joseph, one of the youngest sons of Jacob and showing how God is going to exalt him even above his brothers, his older brothers and father and mother. And then tragedy sold into slavery by his brothers for a few pieces of silver. Rises to prominence, falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten by the world, but not God. And God restores Joseph to a place of prominence, ultimately leading him to two encounters with those same brothers that have sold him into slavery. Nine weeks in, we're left with this question, what will Joseph do? When he finally reveals himself, will he do what many in the world would be rooting for him to do and finally seek vengeance against those who so abused him early in his life decades before? Or will the Joseph that Moses has been revealing to us over the course of these many chapters stay true to character and demonstrate to us great forgiveness in restoration to his brothers. Well, let's find out. Will you stand with me as I read from God's word this morning? We're going to start in verse one and read all of the chapter. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. 
hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there you are yet, yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey to each and all of them. He gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent all as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. And when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for such an example as this. For restoration that we see in this passage between Joseph and his brothers and at the end, the anticipated restoration of Joseph to his father, Jacob. Thank you, God, that we can come to this text and realize that you are the one working and you are also the one calling us to bear the same kind of spirit that Joseph bore towards his brothers. Help us, God, to be those who work towards restoration, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You may be seated. This story here in Genesis 45 really does at least begin the culminating event of the last section of the book of Genesis. What we'll see in the next two chapters next week in many ways almost serves as the first of two epilogues as the story kind of settles itself in to what will then be the next 
book that Moses would write for the people of Israel as they leave Egypt hundreds of years after this event takes place. But as we think of Joseph today and all that he has been through, the persecution from his brothers, the exaltation and imprisonment, the moments where he must, he had to rely on the Lord alone and the moments where the Lord exalted him above everything else in Egypt. It is this story, it is this moment that it has all been leading to. Things would have worked out very differently had Joseph not acted according to the character of God. Things would have turned out very differently if, if Joseph had acted according to the character of the world. For how many would see right retribution towards the brothers of Joseph who had sold him into slavery. If he, has, if he takes the path of retribution, the story that God is telling of redemption throughout history would be markedly different. And yet Joseph sees the hand of God. Joseph obeys the character of God. And Joseph works towards restoration with his brothers. This text begins by showing us that it is repentance and forgiveness that lead to this restoration. Where Joseph finally, after these chapters, these, this kind of cat and mouse game, these traps, if you will, that he has set for his brothers, not maliciously, but desiring to bring them to a place where they recognize their own guilt, which has happened in the previous chapter. Joseph finally, overcome with emotion, reveals himself in the first three verses to his brothers. He makes everyone leave, we're told in verse one. Make everyone go. And yet even though everyone leaves, Joseph cries out so loudly that we're told that not only the Egyptians heard it, and the Egyptians would represent the household of Joseph, those who would have been his servants, those would have worked with him that he would have immediately sent out. But his cry is so loud, we're told in verse 2 that even Pharaoh's household heard it. All of Egypt is represented here, that the cry of this great anticipation that Joseph has so long waited for to reveal himself to his brothers has finally come and he cries aloud in verse 3, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And as we should expect and maybe if we were to put ourselves in their place would have acted similarly his brothers do not answer him because they are afraid the text says dismayed at his presence now think of the build up for the brothers they have not known this is joseph we've known it the narrator has told us all along so we've been privy to information that they were not and what's happened over the last several weeks, they've, they see this powerful figure in Egypt playing mind games with them. Caught in this trap of money in our sacks, now twice in a row, and even this special cup that was found in Benjamin's sack last week. What are we to do? Now this powerful man has revealed himself to be our brother Joseph, to whom we sold into slavery? What are we to make of this? The brothers have no answer because they do not know what is coming. But it is important for us to remind ourselves 
the immediate events that have taken place in the previous chapter that we looked at last week to know why Joseph has come to this point of emotion. It's Judah, not the oldest brother, but the one who, who would seemingly lead the family and whose tribe would lead the family in generations to come, who speaks for the other brothers in Genesis 44. Finally caught in his guilt, in verse 16, Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found us. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and also, uh, we and he also in whom the hand, the cup has been found. And at the end, Judah says, now therefore, please let your servant, speaking of himself, remain instead of the boy, speaking of Benjamin, as a servant to my Lord, and let not the boy go back with his and let the boy go back with his brothers. The very brother, Judah, who had sought to profit off of Joseph's life, it was Judah who had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. It is he who now recognizes his guilt on behalf of his brothers and is moved to the point of self-sacrifice. I am ready to sacrifice my life in Egypt for my brother Benjamin for the sake of my father. We see true repentance in the actions of Judah in chapter 44. And what we see in the actions of Joseph here in Genesis 45 is true forgiveness. Joseph demonstrates to us here in the text what it really means to forgive an egregious sin. And let me recognize something this morning. There are people in this room whom others in your life, maybe even people very close to you, have sinned mightily against you. You are not alone. I can say with confidence that you are not alone because I know there are others that sit in this room who feel similarly to you. But I can also say that you are not alone because we have here preserved for us in the text the story of one whose brothers had sinned mightily against him, sold into slavery, And yet, what is he willing to do? Two decades later, what is he willing to do? He is willing to practice forgiveness to his brothers, to forgive their debt, to forgive their sin. And not only that, but to recognize that all of this was brought about by the providential hand of God. Look with me in verses four through eight and notice the number of references that jo Joseph makes to the hand of God. Joseph says to his brothers in verse four, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now notice this, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Then verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. Joseph having walked with the Lord even in the land of Egypt, so dangerous, so full of idolatry and false worship, having 
had many opportunities to be taken into that cult of false worship that was so prevalent in Egypt, still holds true to the character of God. And he is able to forgive because his eyes are fixed on the eternal, not on the temporal. Joseph is able to forgive his brothers here in this story because he recognizes that God is the one at work. He is able to back up and see the situation for what it truly is. He is able to forgive his brothers of this incredible debt that they owe him. If this story had gone another way, if this man had been sold into slavery as a teenager and had experienced the many things that Joseph had experienced in Egypt and he would finally be revealed uh, to who his brothers are and he were to seek vengeance upon them, our world would celebrate. But that's not the story God is telling. The story God is telling, and remember, as we have seen so often in this last year in Genesis, that the Lord is the primary actor here in this story. This is God's story, and the story that God is telling through Joseph is one of dependence upon him and recognition of his providential hand working in Joseph in the pit, in the penthouse, all alone and restored to his brothers. And numerous times here in the text, Joseph makes sure his brothers know that it was God who sent him to Egypt. It was God who used him to preserve life and to preserve a remnant. It was God who placed him in Pharaoh's house. You see, church family, we are far more equipped to practice biblical forgiveness when we recognize the providential hand of God in our lives. If we will take the posture of Joseph and realize that what God is doing around us is using us for his glory in this world, then when bad things happen to us, we are far more able to forgive. We are far more able to seek restoration with those who have sinned against us, even as Joseph's brothers had sinned against him, because we see God at work. We recognize that even the bad things that happen in this world are happening and God is using them to place us where he wants us, to make us into who he wants us to be, to give us a testimony of faith that then proclaims the gospel to people around us. And it's this view that puts Joseph in that place. Because Joseph sees God at work, he is able to forgive his brothers. Regardless of how egregious the sin is. Now in three weeks we will conclude and we'll be in Genesis chapter 50. By that point, Jacob has died and they almost have to go through this whole thing again. Because Joseph's brothers grow fearful now that their father is dead, that, Jacob will, uh, that Joseph will seek vengeance. The key verse, we've read it before here in this series, in, uh, in this last part of Genesis, Joseph says, do not fear, for, I am, in the pl- for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph could have taken revenge again later in the story and he chooses not to. Why? Because once again, he sees the hand of God 
And the hand of God provides the perspective he needs to offer forgiveness to his brother, to his brothers. And ultimately he is restored, not just to Benjamin, not just to Judah, but he is restored to every one of them. We're told first in verse 14 that he fell upon his brother's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck. This this is a picture of embrace of long overdue restoration between two brothers who barely had a chance to know one another. And then though, we're told in 15, he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. So the embrace that he gives to Benjamin, he gives to the other brothers who sold him into slavery. And then I love the end of verse 15. There's so much that happens at the end of verse 15 that we're just not told about. We, We use our imaginations. After that, his brothers talked with him. Joseph was sold to slavery at 17. If we kind of do the math that the narrator provides for us here in the text, Joseph is in his late 30s, probably approaching 40 by this point. At least two, coming probably upon two and a half decades now that Joseph had been away from his brothers. And what do they do? He talked with them all. There are years worth of stories to tell, both from Joseph and from his brothers, some good, some bad. There are years worth of tears to shed and laughter to be had amongst these brothers. There is true restoration, not just with some, but with all. There is great weeping and joy as repentance and forgiveness have taken place in the life of these brothers and have led to changed hearts and changed actions. Second, we see the provisions following restoration. Pharaoh hears of this. Remember his household heard of it. And word finally gets to him, what's all the crying about? And Pharaoh provides abundantly for Joseph's family. I think it's interesting to note here that Joseph has just told his brothers that I have become a father to Pharaoh. Why would he say I've become a father to Pharaoh? if it wasn't for the fact that Joseph had begun influencing Pharaoh. You see, God had put Joseph there not just to preserve life through the interpretation of the dreams and then setting out that plan to to store up grain for seven years so that they could survive the famine, but he was also there influencing Pharaoh. And we see Pharaoh actually act, who has the authority to destroy Joseph's brothers. But what does Pharaoh do? It pleased Pharaoh, we're told in verse 16, and his servants. The character of Joseph has had great effect on the household of Pharaoh. And he says, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons for the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Pharaoh says, you go back with the stuff that I'm gonna provide for the journey and get your father, leave everything behind and come here because all of Egypt is yours. The best land, the best resources, all of it belongs to the restored brothers of Joseph. And Joseph sends his brothers back to Canaan one final time. Pick up in verse 21. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. Now notice what happens in verse 22. 
to each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Restored now to his brothers, he sends them back to Canaan one final time to get Jacob. And how does he send them away? Dressed and enriched. Dressed and enriched. This directly mirrors how his brothers had sent him away in Genesis 37. Robbed of his cloak and with nothing. You see, Joseph wasn't enriched as they sent him to Egypt in the, in the hands of slave traders. It was the brothers who were enriched. But to each of them, not just to Benjamin, even though he does lavishly provide for Benjamin as he had done a couple of chapters before at the feast he held for his brothers, he provides for all of them a change of clothes. It is every one of them that he restores the coat to. The coat that they had ripped from his body, the coat that they had torn and dipped in blood, the coat that they had presented to their father and said he had been mauled by a wild animal. The change of clothes represents that coat and it is now all of the brothers who wear it. And to Benjamin, he gives 300 shekels of silver It was for a mere 20 pieces of silver that Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery and it's 15 times that amount of silver that the one brother who did not benefit, who did not profit from his original enslavement receives. You see, real relational restoration demands we treat people better than they treated us. And for many in this room, this is probably where the story becomes difficult. Because it may be easy for us, or easier at least for us to say, okay, I forgive them. It's a whole nother thing for us to take the cloak, the coat that they ripped off of us and place it on their shoulders. It's a whole nother thing for us to look at the money that they had already made off of us and lavishly give them even more. It's one thing to say we have forgiven someone. It is a whole nother, way, a whole nother thing to actually walk in that forgiveness. But to actually practice biblical forgiveness and the kind of restoration that comes when we walk in the character of God demands that we treat people in the way that Joseph treated his brothers. That may be a hard thing for us to hear this morning. And I recognize for some you would say, I'm just not sure if I can do that. Well, again, back up. Do what Joseph did. See the providential hand of God at work and realize that he is calling you to something greater, that he is calling you to biblical fidelity and he is calling you to biblical obedience and he is calling you to live a life that is different than the way the world lives. The way the world lives sells their brother into slavery. The way God calls us to live sends those same brothers back clothed and enriched and with provisions for the journey. Gives them one final warning in verse 24, just an encouragement. Do not quarrel on the way. You can imagine as they're pulling out of Egypt, there would be the temptation to look at from one brother to the next that says, it was your idea to kill him. No, it was your idea to sell him into slavery. No, it was your idea to put him in the pit. Benjamin over there going, this was all on all of y'all. Joseph recognizes that do not quarrel on the way. 
even once forgiveness and restoration has taken place, there's still room for warnings like that, isn't there? Because we can so easily fall back into old patterns. We can fall back into old traps. We can fall back into the world's way of doing things. And so Joseph just kind of whispers this in their ear, do not quarrel on the way. There's no reason for any further assigning of blame. There's no reason for any further pointing of fingers. Go and get my father. Finally, restoration leads to further restoration. Jacob's sons tell him Joseph is alive and he rejoices. With all of these provisions in tow, with new clothes and further enriched, they came out of Egypt, verse 25 tells us, in the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. Imagine decades without your son and now you're told that he is the one they've been dealing with all along in Egypt but when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him the spirit of their father Jacob revived and Israel said it is enough Joseph my son is still alive I will go and see him before I die Do you notice that in verses 25 through 28, every time Jacob is referenced, he is referenced by his old name, Jacob, until the end. It's Israel who says, I believe you. It's Israel who says, my son is alive. It is Israel who says, I will go and see him. And remember what we've already seen here in this text as the narrator goes back and forth from Jacob to Israel. When they use that, that new name, Israel, so they're so often wanting to remind the reader of the covenant. What, what we're supposed to see here is God is going to continue to work. And Israel going to Egypt is part of that work. The domino effect of reconciliation is often seen in further reconciliation. Because of the repentance of Joseph's uh, Joseph's brothers and because of the forgiveness that Joseph offers him, he is now going to be restored to his father. We think about this in our own life and how so often this is true. When we walk in forgiveness to those who have sinned against us, it often leads towards them forgiving others as well. Reconciliation births further reconciliation. So what? We have been restored to God through Christ. Therefore, our earthly relationships must reflect that restoration. I want to remind you of something. The story that God is telling us here in Genesis 45 is part of a grand narrative. It's part of what we call the redemptive history, the story that God is weaving from the fall in the garden through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, ultimately leading to eternal life with him. That God is doing something, and this is just a small piece of that. And so when we see this, re- this restoration between Joseph and his brothers, we must be reminded of the restoration that we have all experienced because of the work of Christ in our lives. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 writes about this reconciliation. He says, starting in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Those who are in Christ are now new creations. And because they are new creations, the old way of treating people and the old way of approaching relationships now must be gone. Because we have been reconciled to the one to whom we have sinned against. And if holy God is able to forgive our sins, then we must be willing to forgive the sins of others. Not only have we been restored to God, but he has actually made us ambassadors of this message, what Paul says, ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. This means we're ambassadors of the gospel because it is the gospel that has brought us into right relationship with God. And because the gospel has restored us to God, then we are now ambassadors of the gospel. But part of how God makes his appeal through us, which is the words Paul uses there, that God is making his appeal through us, part of the way that God does that is shown in how we forgive others in this world. You see, the fact that we're restored to God demands that we be willing to restore others who have sinned against us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addresses this very idea. He said, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder or whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now for our purposes today, here's what we need to understand. Jesus is being all encompassing as it relates to worldly relationships. He's saying everybody is guilty of having bad relationships. Everybody is guilty of being angry against their brother. Everybody is guilty of being unforgiving. Everybody is guilty here. That's what Jesus says. So, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift therefore before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So what's Jesus saying in Matthew 5? More important even than giving a gift at the altar is our reconciliation to those whom we have sinned against and those who have sinned against us. You see, the gospel doesn't just restore us to God. The gospel demands that we be willing to practice the same type of forgiveness that Joseph demonstrated to us in Genesis 45 and that Jesus being the ultimate demonstration of forgiveness on the cross in our place, restoring us to God. And listen, church, hear me. As we forgive people, it becomes evident They see it. And not only as we forgive them, but as we treat them better than they treated us. Or when we have wronged others and we go seeking forgiveness and seeking to make things right and recognizing our own sin, when we seek, whether it is because we were in the wrong or someone else was in the wrong, when we seek restoration of relationships from a biblical perspective mirroring the character of God, we proclaim the gospel. 
We are making an appeal to them as ambassadors of God. So yes, your relationships matter. Yes, your willingness to offer forgiveness matters. Your willing to walk in the character of God in forgiveness as Joseph did matters. And I know it's hard. I recognize that there are some who have been sinned against in great ways. And you think, I just don't know that I can do that. Listen, take a step back. Focus on God. Walk in him. He will give you the strength to do it. You're not alone in this. But realize that your sin against God was egregious too, and yet he has forgiven you in Christ. And if he can forgive you in Christ, then leave your offering at the altar and go and make your relationships right with your brother. There is nothing more important in this world than you can do, because by doing so, you are an ambassador of God and his gospel in this world. So finally, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5 because Paul then tells us what our appeal is and I want to make that appeal this morning. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of you in this room, some may be watching us right now online, are not Joseph in this story. You're Judah and the brothers. You're still separated from God because of your sin. You've, not, you've never come to a place of repentance and forgiveness as we saw in Genesis 44 with Judah. And so Paul's appeal to you is the appeal that I make today. I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It is offered freely to you today. Christ offers a way for you to be restored to God through his taking on sin in your place and offering you his righteousness. You may say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how offensive my life has been to God. Can I tell you this? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Joseph was willing to forgive his brothers and God is willing to forgive you. And God is not only willing to forgive you and make you neutral in his sight, he is willing to give you the righteousness of Christ, making you a son of God. If you will but believe this today, repent and believe God will forgive you and that relationship will be restored and then this is what you'll need to do. You'll need to evaluate your life and say, okay, what relationships do I need to restore? as I have now become an ambassador of the gospel of God. Will you believe that today and be saved? Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the great restoration we, the many in this room who are in Christ, have experienced because of the work of Jesus. Would you call other men and women and boys and girls to that same point of reconciliation as they recognize their sin and seek your forgiveness? But also, God, would you help us in a place where so many, I am sure, need the power of God right now in their lives. As we think of those who have wronged us, would we be willing to forgive them? Would we be Joseph? Would we walk in the character of God? Would we see the great forgiveness that you have offered to us and applied to our life through Jesus? And would we be ambassadors of the gospel as we seek restoration with others? Help us to be a forgiving people. Help us to make hard decisions and 
have hard conversations, ultimately leading to difficult actions as we love people in ways that they never showed us love so that they may see the forgiveness of God in us and they too may be reconciled to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.